Hello out there, friends. Welcome to the podcast, These Present Days. And so let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for anointing us. Thank you for informing us and equipping us and endowing us with what we need to navigate in these present days. And we have our hearts and our ears open and ready to listen to what you have to say. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 24. We're going to start off with a scripture. We're going to jump right into the middle of things with this scripture. Matthew 24. Yep. And I'm going to look at it from the New King James. How about if I just keep it simple? New King James, Matthew 24. And verse 3, Jesus was asked by his disciples, when is all this stuff going to happen that you were speaking about? About the temple being torn down and about um, the end times. So in verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his, his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things be, will be. When will be these things? Okay, let's start over. <laughs> Cut. First cut of the day. I'm reading scripture. I can't believe it. Okay, time out. Everybody collect themselves. I'm ready. Hello again out there. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to These Present Days, a podcast from The Unusual Place. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for speaking to us clearly, causing our hearts, eyes to open wide to see all of the things that are posing a present threat to us in our way of life in this world and how to navigate it. In the name of your son, Jesus, we know that you're endowing us with a grace to not just make it, but to thrive in these times. And so be it, as you speak to us today, you're adding to the arsenal that we need to make our way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, we're starting in verse 3 of Matthew 24. We're going to go right to the scriptures. To start with, Matthew 24, verse 3. This is Jesus after he kind of did a teaser and told him about things that were going to happen in the end times. And they're going to ask him questions when they get alone or by themselves with him. And verse 3, it says, Now he, as he sat on the, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Those three things. When, when these things are going to be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to, to them, He's going in sequence and going in, in order. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so we've had a lot of those wars, rumors of wars, even famines and pestilence and starvation still going on in the planet. And it's probably going to get worse, they say, because of all the setbacks from the pandemic you know, and all of the restrictions countries had to put on things. And uh, 
the country, our country, the U.S., is still having to dig out of the last two and a half, three years. And they're still digging. And it's interesting, he says in verse 4, Take care that no one deceives you. For many are going to come and say that they're the Christ and deceive many. And he says deceive twice in two sentences. And so deceived is something like this. Here's the simplicity of it. You're told a lie, and you believe the lie, and you act accordingly to the lie, you're deceived. You see, telling a lie is one thing. Telling a lie and people believing it is another thing. It's called deception. And so you're still lying, but the intent is to change the thinking patterns of someone or many and have them go about their lifestyle with a different way of thinking under a delusion of this is right or this is truth or this is the highest uh, way of living and reset sometimes if they still have a working moral compass so that their moral compass now reflects on the latest trends that we're told that are okay, such as in the 1990s, the last 10 years of the 20th century, homosexuality wasn't out in the open. There was no such thing as gay marriages. Transgenders weren't out in the open. They weren't celebrated. They weren't, they weren't even protected by any kind of laws or, 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 or could come into libraries and schools and share from their perspective of life and try to groom people and change their way of thinking. Um, are they living the truth? No, not even close to it. Has this country accepted something that's not truth? Yes, it has. And this country has embraced it to such extent that it's protecting it. It's, it's making room for that lifestyle and those lifestyles. And I'm not condemning the people because psychiatry, and I, I minored in psychology when I was in uh, college. I majored in sociology, minored in psychology before I went to a um, seminary, you know, a Bible school where I got trained for ministry and all that. But I had such an itch, I had such a hunger for psychology. And psychologists, to this day, they still call transgenderism a gender dysphoria. Dysphoria means confusion. And so they are not changing so quickly. You can't change those guys' minds so quickly because they have the science. You know, but the politicians are falling out of their chairs to try to rush, you know, to make sure they get ahead of the curve and, and embrace all this kind of stuff. And society is reeling from it. Society is torn. You know, many segments of society would never go to that side or on that side. And others that got caught um, flat-footed are being shamed because they haven't come across yet. Or maybe some of their relatives that claim to be in that genre or in that dysphoria um, are shaming them and the rest of the family shaming them because you're not going to embrace your own family member? What's wrong with you? And so we see this thing that he is mentioning to his disciples 2,000 years ago in reference to when he comes back. And so bingo, we're on target here. And so we read... Let's see, get back to verse we left off at, verse 4.
And once again, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. That's some good advice. We need to not be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. What? We're not done yet? Nope, there's, some, there's more. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. We've had famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various uh, places already. But what he's talking about, according to the Greek language and the structure of the verbiage, is that the frequency and the intensity of these famines, pestilence, and pestilence can be viral, they can be bacterial, these Famine, pestilence, and earthquakes, the frequency and intensity is increasing during these last days, these present days. So we pick it up in verse 7, for nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famine, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. No, it says the beginning of birth pangs. No, it actually means the beginning of labor pains. Because God talks about this in the book of Revelation that the earth is going to give place to a new heaven and a new earth. It's a rebirth of this old earth. And God is going to purge the old one when the judgment of Armageddon comes and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is removed from the face of the earth. But God is going to judge the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the demons, and people that align themselves and bowed down to them with fire. He promised that when he got done flooding the earth and leaving the water over the earth for over a year and drowning everybody except for eight people on a boat. And he said he'll never judge the earth again by wawa, by water. He's going to judge by fire. I mean, he didn't even give them time to clap for him saying, I'm not going to ever flood you. I'm not going to ever drown you all again. I'm not going to ever snuff out the breath of life again, and the reason that God, the loving God, the Father of life did that is to save life because it was so corrupt, so perverse. It had been transmitted to men and women and children all across the globe. And Noah had all this time, a hundred years of working on the ark to preach salvation to them and preach you know, salvation in a way where literally God's going to save you from a disaster that's coming if you turn from your wicked ways, if you turn from your unrighteousness. And they wouldn't listen to him because he was a preacher of righteousness. They wouldn't listen to him. And so they got what they had coming because God had to judge the sin and they wouldn't separate themselves from the sin because God wants to keep the sin away from the healthy people that are trying to follow him. Because nobody could get born again, filled with the Spirit, get anointed by God permanently um, back in those days because Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus hadn't conquered the de held death in the grave yet. Jesus hadn't done any of that yet. And so they were allowed to follow God if they kept his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments and his decrees. If they kept those things, God said, you're on track with me. You're in rhythm with me. And I'll bless your cattle. I'll bless your fields. I'll bless your families. I'll bless what you set your hands to. But if you don't keep my commandments and all this kind of thing, and if you bow down to other gods, well, then you'll bring yourself under a curse. And that's what happened. And that's what's happening right now. And we're coming closer to when Jesus says, 
in this same chapter, later in chapter 24, if you want to read the whole chapter today for yourselves, he tells them in the generality of when he's going to return. He says, no man knows the day and the hour, but as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the time of the return of the Son of Man. And so we're, we're, we're really close. I mean, you don't have to be a historian. You don't have to be a theologian, a scholar, to see that we're getting really close. If you just had a, a little nursery uh, school of, of, of education and bibliology of, of Noah and the ark and the reason God had to destroy the world. And Jesus saying it's going to be like that again. Well, you see, I never got the message and the memo like a lot of you haven't of what the earth must have been like for God to have to go to that extreme and destroy everybody. And God gave me a revelation. And another thing that he gave me, he gave me a scripture of what he was working with and what the Apostle Paul is working with when he's writing his letters to the church in his day. Keep your finger right here and go with me, follow me over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? He's talking about the sinners versus the saints. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, now he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. This is talking about the whole human race has got this plague. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. Remember Jesus talking about deception? The poison of asp, that's a poisonous snake. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, that doesn't happen in 21st century, right? Cursing and bitterness? Uh, duh. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. And so it shows you how how damned up the people are. And he's writing to the church at Rome. He's writing about the unrighteousness of man. And if you want to see how bad off mankind was, even after the first time that God cleared the earth of humans except for eight left over and started over again, and went all the way to Jesus, which is about fourteen to 1,500 years. And God was so intent with saving all of the world that will accept his son's death as a sacrifice for them. He took, God is so intent to do that, that he let his son be beaten to a bloody mess, unrecognizable in Isaiah 52. The end of Isaiah 52, around verse 14, he's unrecognizable as a human. He looks more like a snake because he took upon himself the sin of the, na of the nations, the sin nature of all humanity to where he was able to finally die 
when he took upon sin. He, he couldn't die yet because he, didn't, he wasn't born into the slave market of sin. He was born free of that, like the first Adam was created outside of sin. But he could still sin if he chose to. And he still kept his free will. He lived for hundreds of years and had many children with, with Eve, his wife, before they got kicked out. And so what we have is a parallel here. The last Adam is what Jesus is called. God's not bringing anymore. This is it. And he had to be tempted, just like the first Adam and his wife Eve were tempted by the serpent in the garden, and they failed. Jesus was tempted by the serpent in the wilderness, and he succeeded and resisted Satan three times. Just like Adam and Eve were tempted with the three main principles of sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That covers all categories of sin. And so Jesus died, and when you study the crucifixion and what they did to him, he was a beautiful specimen of humanity. And he was broken down and split open wide and shedding blood everywhere at the whipping post before he ever got to the cross. And then they made him carry his own crucifixion instrument up the hill. And he collapsed several times this specimen of humanity who never was sick a day in his life. And so it shows you that he's starting to break down because of what he was put through as he got closer to being the exchange or the stand-in for our sin. Because when he was on the cross, he cried out. After being there for a while, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, have you forgotten why you were there? Jesus was in so much anguish. Jesus, have you forgotten the whole point of this? Crying out, why have you forsaken me? You know God hasn't forsaken you. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus, all of a sudden, for the first time, was alone. Because he said it twice, my God, that's the Father. My God, the second time, that's the Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? because they had to pronounce the sin, to transmit the sin, the guilt, the shame, the sin of mankind upon Jesus. And when he received it as a, as a willing sacrifice, that's when it hit him, and the Father and the Spirit pulled away from him because the judgment of God had to go upon him so that he could die. And he died as a mortal. And the blood that flowed out of his body after, after he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The blood that flowed out of his body afterwards was not the blood of Jesus that overcame Satan. The blood that flowed out of his veins at that point in time was the polluted, sin-filled blood of the lower level of humanity that he took upon himself so that the wages of sin is death could go to effect. That's the only way he could die. He never committed a single sin in his entire life, but he had to become sin for our sake, and he had to become sin to taste of death so that he could die, so that he could destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. That's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. So it's a gruesome thing to see God having to turn away, the Holy Spirit having to turn away. How messed up were we as humans we weren't even born yet, but just humanity. How jacked up 
is humanity. For God to put his son through that, that should tell us something. And here we still play with sin. We still coddle sin. We still excuse sin. That's just my little idiosyncrasy. Oh, that's just a bad habit I got. No, it's not a sin. It's unrighteous. It's unholy. It's ungodly. It's iniquity. It's transgression. And if it's powerful enough to kill Jesus, who wasn't born into sin in the first place, why don't you think it's going to hurt you? Who we still have in our lower nature the capacity and the propensity to go right back into a lifestyle of sin because that is our old human natural default. Jesus didn't have that. And so what in the world are we thinking when we don't repent quickly, when we don't get cleansed and cleaned up quickly after we stupidly screw up and make the wrong decisions and put our mouth out there where we shouldn't or put our hands on stuff that we shouldn't or let things go on in our heart that we didn't purge out of there yet? Wow. So it shows you we need to get busy and to just live a clean life. I'm not talking about being legalistic about it. I'm not talking about being, you know, um, mechanical about it. I'm talking about it being organic, that we love God so much that I want to fellowship with God without bringing any smell of caca in the room with me. <laughs> How do you like that, the way I put it? Maybe you understand it now. The smell of caca, and it's not French for cocoa. So, let's go back to Matthew. 24, Matthew 24, and we're going to hit it some more. All of these things he said so far are the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth because the way that a live birth takes place is labor pains come first. This is labor pains. This is labor pains. What are the labor pains? Wars, rumors of wars, more frequent, more intense, pestilence, earthquakes, famines, new strains of diseases, more intense, more frequent. It's picking up steam. It's getting closer to a new heaven, a new earth. But before that comes, that's a, that's a grandiose um, celebration, a new heaven, a new earth. But before it comes, God's got to purge by fire this time the old heaven and the old earth because of the pollution of the fallen state and condition of humanity. God doesn't leave any stone unturned. And I know this sounds very complex to some of you, and I'm trying to make it as simplified as I possibly can. And I've made a study of this for so many years and so many years. It's like I... Thank God Almighty for revealing things to me that I just got straight from Him. And I know that I'm saying things to you in some cases that you've never heard put that way before. That's because I get what I'm talking about as much as I know how out of the mouth of God. Like Jesus said, I only, hear, I only say what I hear my Father say. And that's what I endeavor to do whenever I'm, I'm speaking on His behalf to people. Then it says in verse 9, then they're going to deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. 
And then this is a local life statement, though. They asked him, you know, when is this going to be when they tear the, tear the temple apart and destroy the temple? And are they going to come after us? And these guys are still standing there. And it's in the first century. And so that took place. And so he's covering it. Like I said, boom, boom, and boom, to where he gets back on track to when he comes back again. We're not going to go all the way that deep. But we're just going to cover these, this second one in consistency right here. In, one, in verse 10, and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There's the third time deception is mentioned. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Wow. All of a sudden he shifted gears. He got into the last, the last days that we're in. Because he said many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And I'll show you how that's in the last days that that's going to happen. In verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, have we seen a little bit of lawlessness lately in our country? Have we seen a bunch of people in black outfits that have a certain identification and they have a certain cause that they started off with that is completely blurred by the time that they're breaking windows, burning down shops that, own, that, were, that were owned by people that they are supposed to represent? like BLM, uh, and indiscriminately destroying stuff, just like a spoiled two-year-old, just, just kicking and screaming on the floor because he's not getting his way. And we've seen the political powers to be turn a blind eye to it when it represents their interests, and they let it go. And then when it doesn't represent their interests, they'll make a, a mock kangaroo court trial out of it or something. And we have lawlessness happening all over the place, right? People are upset. The Bible talks about this. He says the seas are raging. The seas are representative of mankind. The seas are roaring. The winds are blowing. What are the winds representing? Spirit beings. And it's whipping up the waves. What's the, what's the waves represent? The sea of humanity. The waves. And the instability is everywhere. Ships are sinking. You can't make it across a strait of water that's, that's moving and churning like that. And we're living in troubled times. I mean, trouble's been used to describe water. In other words, Jesus told one time of a, of, of a, of a, of a story. Actually, he didn't, he didn't tell of this story that the story was told and it was passed down, but this guy that was waiting for the angel to come and trouble the waters so that the first one into the pool of, of uh, Bethsaida, 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 the first one into the pool of Bethsaida would be healed of whatever ailment he had. Well, this crippled man was too slow. He couldn't ever make it. So obviously he'd been waiting there um, for a long time, he said himself, 38 years. If he didn't see sometimes some people getting healed because the water's being troubled, well, he wouldn't have waited that long. He would have gone and found another pool or another puddle to sit next to or something. But Jesus is telling something that God would even use in the Old Testament days because when Jesus came, he didn't direct people to go sit by that pool no more. You know, but they were going to the pool where the angel come down and trouble the waters. And so a troubling takes place when spirit beings move into the middle of humanity, which is represented by the waters. And so when the waters are troubled by the enemy, there's a lot of sickness and disease and problems. And death and people sinking and dying. And when the waters are troubled by the angels of God, the messengers of God, 
well, then there's going to be healings and deliverances and those kind of things taking place. And so it represents that cross-section where we understand a little bit how spiritual dynamics work because we're so programmed to thinking naturally that we need some kind of illustration of how spiritual things work. And so right here, we're going back to Matthew 24, and because, verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many is growing cold. Because lawlessness is abounding, here's how it abounds. Not only are people hitting the streets, not only are people pushing and shoving each other and even fighting amongst themselves, they're just in so much angst. And people are murdering. The murder rate per capita is going up rapidly. Uh, the suicide rates in the last couple of years are going up more than before because there's so much despair. You can almost cut it with a knife. So much hopelessness for this present generation that is just got getting out of school and getting into the lousy job market and the collapsing economy and all the things that are going on with the perpetuation of the pandemic, quote unquote. And it's just... How would you like to be starting your life right there? Maybe you're out there listening to me, and I am describing the start of your adult life right there. I don't envy you. I, I empathize with you. And I have hope that I want to help you with. Because we were born for such a time as this. But we can't get caught up in it. We can't allow ourselves to. But we've got to identify what's going on by the things that we see, as well as what the Spirit of God and the Word of God is showing us. And so the love of many is growing cold. They don't love themselves enough to keep themselves alive. They don't love themselves enough to stay off of drugs and stop taking fentanyl. They don't love themselves enough to leave your neighbor alone. Don't, don't be slandering them. Don't be you know, um, gossiping about them. You know, don't be lying about them. Don't be trying to out them. Don't be trying to cancel them. We've got to grow the heck up here. And so... The love of many, how do we counteract that? The love of many growing cold you know, because of lawlessness. Well, we're going to have lawlessness. You can't stop that. That's going to be a telltale sign of the Antichrist. That's going to be the campaign, the, campaign, the campaign that he's running on is lawlessness. He's called the lawless one. Hint, hint. And so this is his time. He hasn't come out and exposed himself yet, but the people that are feeling this in the vibrations of nature, they are getting such an angst in them that they're hating one another. They're turning against each other. They are, in a sense, being manipulated by false gods of the electronic IT world. Because Satan found that in the last three generations, X, Y, and Z, he found a market of billions of people that he can move around through electronic devices, meaning the social media platforms, but also, even more interesting, and it seems more harmless, gaming platforms. Because either one of those platforms, if you have things around your ears, and you got your eyes peeled and you're looking at a screen. There's two points of, of entrance into your soul, your ear gates and your eye gates right there. And whatever is not being screened and sanitized and sanctified, it's coming into you. Whether you're a Christian, 
a sweet little boy or girl or not. And it's reprogramming things. They even say in the natural that the biorhythms from the gaming, the biorhythms, and there are biorhythms because they're designing them to get closer and closer to biology, just like they're trying to create thinking robots and inject inside of them one day, hopefully, they, 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 they wish for, human DNA, because they want that crossover to take, to take place, to happen. But you know, at the same time, it's crossing over already in an inorganic level with the manipulation of our thought processes, our imaginations, and what we visualize. And the Bible says, in David's words in the book of Psalms, he said, I'll set no ungodly thing before my eyes, lest it cleave unto my soul. And the imagery in the Hebrew language is an octopus. If somebody took an octopus and walked around from behind you and stuck the octopus on your face, his eight tentacles would wrap around the back of your head and his beak would start sucking what he could out of the front lobe of your brain. Well, that's already happening. Because I've seen spiritual beings in the spirit world that look exactly like a copy of an octopus. Wow. Moving right along. It says this in verse 12 again, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Since we know that, let's not let the love of many grow cold over here. Keep your love hot for God. Keep your love stirred up for people. Don't get caught up. Put some kind of a filter if you have to go on the computer and you have to avail yourself and subjugate yourself to the material on the computer because that's the way you make your living or that's the way you relax yourself a little bit, you know, and you really aren't ready to go cold turkey and, and get yourself off of the addiction of that game program or that, that social media network or just belonging to some electronic society that's been created. If you're not ready for all that, at least... Start availing yourself of the love of God on the inside of you Christian people and counteract the things that are going into your eye gates and your ear gates like a heartbeat, like a pulsation that produces hatred towards certain people. That's all racism is, is hatred towards certain people. And are people born haters? No. They're programmed. They're programmed. I mean, back in the the early part of the 400 years of slavery in this country, there was, no, there, there was no thing called programming. There was no computers. But they were getting programmed by their families who were so depraved in their thinking that they were superior to other people that they were buying and selling slaves at the slave market. And they taught their kids to call them by the N-word and degrading them. And they programmed they're thinking, and there probably was people like me doing this right now, um, the town criers of the day, crying out and just saying, we got to stop this madness, stop this, this isn't right, this is inhumane. Well, it's now taking a different form. Instead, instead of being programmed to hate black people, I mean, they know they can't get any kind of a popular movement in their programming of games like that, or programming 
of things like that. But there's a dark web, there's an under, underground web, underbelly to all this stuff, and they probably are racist on there, and they're probably blatant about it, and they're probably out in the open in that private corridor, you know, in the subcultures. But listen, we have to live in this above-ground culture here where there's real flesh and blood and eyeball-to-eyeball contact with people to be made, and we can't let ourselves be swept away and taken captive Mm. and bowing our knees to something other than the living God, because that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're talking about idolatry here, people. Idolatry is a powerful force. Idolatry leads people to where they're worshiping something other than the living God that is going to destroy them and is in the process of worshiping this foreign God, this no God, this lying God, is sucking the life out of them. And it's been going on way before there's ever a computer screen or a keyboard, way before there's ever an iPhone. And so... Moving straight ahead, let's get back to Matthew 24. And I want to emphasize verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many is going to grow cold. And what do we do about that? Run for the hills and dig ourselves a hole and put an iron gate? No. That means that we need to walk in the midst of them, bringing the love of God that's missing bringing the love of God right into the teeth of the hatred of man. And this gospel, verse 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. Now he's wrapping up the end, the end, the end of the end. But he had to get that verse 13 there. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures what? He who endures the lawlessness by walking into the middle of it and bringing the love of God. Because if you're going along with the lawlessness, you don't have to endure anything. If you're going along with the maddening crowd and you're also throwing people on the altar of your hatred, you know, by texting evil things about them, telling them they killed themselves. You know, there's been trials in this country already in the last few years to where people that were miles and miles and miles apart had encouraged somebody to commit suicide and they listened to every word and they were so weak and they were so susceptible that they killed themselves. And now they're prosecuting people like that. And it's a brand new way of doing trials because the person wasn't even there, the murderer wasn't even there. And so, welcome to a brave new world, people. As Audius Huxley would say, but he who endures to the end, endures what? The hatred. Endures the hatred how? With the love of God. The love of God is more powerful than the hatred of Satan. The love of God is greater than any hatred Satan puts into anybody's heart. And so we need to take off from this premise because to whom you bow your knees unto, to him you become the servant thereof. Adam and Eve found that out the hard way. They did what the devil suggested they should do if they wanted to be like God. And so they both ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, meaning that they were telling God, I don't want you to be in charge of my good and evil list. I'm going to make my own good and evil list. Thank you very much. And then God says, well, then this is where we part our ways because you found yourself another God. 
And that's the way it went. And so mortal, meaning death doomed, mortal became the condition of humanity. Humanity, when God created them, male and female created he them, were immortal, which means they don't die. Wow, what a big, what a big 180 the human race has turned on that one. And so I want to talk to you about things that people have done in general, something called swatting that's been around at least 10 years, and it's more dangerous and sophisticated um, than any other pranks that people try to do on each other. They do swatting as a prank because it happens when someone pretends to be a shooter or a bomber or a murderer who has just or is about to killed or shot uh, somebody or committed a, a, a horrendous crime to trigger the local police and for them to dispatch their SWAT team to a location told by the prankster. This is a, this is a sport people are doing. In 2017, spotting, or excuse me, swatting hit the first low point when an innocent man was shot to death in his own doorway by a Kansas SWAT team who thought that he was the man on the phone who had just killed his father. Instead, the call was made by a prankster who became enthralled in a dispute between two gamers over a video game that ended with one of the gamers becoming a sore loser of a whopping $1.50, a buck and a half. This is a true story. I'm reading it right off a newsfeed. <laughs> that was the jackpot on the line that day. And so it was more than that. The guy just couldn't take losing. And so before this happened, swatting was just an innocent activity that gamers were playing by reporting threats to police departments all over the country and leading to evacuations of schools, office buildings, a federal building, and even an L.A. local news station was affected by that. They all got out in the parking lot. You see, you'd think swatting would have come to a brutal end when an innocent man was killed on his own doorway, or in his own doorway, but it's still continuing to this day on a global scale, not just this country. It's important for us to understand what Jesus was talking about over there in Matthew 24, about the love of many growing cold and about the callousness of humanity that made its way into the hearts of harmless activities like playing on your computer. How harmless is that? Mostly only accessible via an internet connection. Wow. You see, the stealth moves of the enemy into the hearts of my and minds and realities of entire generations are now beginning to spill over more and more and more. From a suicide that is encouraged via text messaging, like I mentioned a minute ago, to catfishing from remote locations with the intent to destroy lives, to swatting with intent to seek revenge in the real world without understanding the actual consequences. We're living amongst people who conduct their lives entirely online. We're living around people who have a hard time distinguishing between reality and fantasy or virtual reality. We are surrounded by people who increasingly become detached from any sense of morality from remote locations that are completely disconnected from their actions. You see, it's the disconnect. That's what, the, that's what it does. It takes you out of circulation with normal, natural people, and you're now in circulation with them via electronics, via electronics that 
bridge the distance. It's a modern convenience. It's better than sliced bread. Oh my, what a wonderful tool. And it can be. And it can also not be if it falls into the hands of the enemy. Now, not to say that these people that are gamers are all demonic or all of the devil or love the devil or don't love God. No. Most of them don't even know what they're doing. They don't even understand the deadliness of it. If you knew that there was a snake in a box and you were dared and would give, be given $1,000 to reach your hand in there, and it might be a poisonous snake. It might be a, a two-step black mamba where you only get two steps and you drop dead. Or it might be just a garden snake or it could be a rattlesnake. But if you want that thousand bucks, go ahead and go for it. Well, this reckless generation that doesn't love itself very much, they're going to get a lot of takers. They've been proving that by, by social sciences, doing studies and getting feedback on where people are right now. They may not be going online and looking for all the best ways of killing themselves and then buying all the products they need to get that done, you know, but they are walking around with not very much energy and vigor put into the life that they're leading because they're in so much despair and they're under so much weight. They're under so much pressure. I, my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to all of us because I'm a part of that even though I come from a different generation because the stress and the despair you can cut with a knife, I feel it too. I'm human. Only I'm only going to bow my knees to God Almighty. I'm not going to bow my knees to the pressure and let it crush me. I'm not going to bow my knees to the ideology or the methodology of relieving the pressure by taking drugs or, and getting prescription drugs or getting illegal drugs or just doing something to take the edge off or just doing something to alter my state of consciousness. No, I'm not going to be self-destructive because I love God too much and I love myself in God too much and I love my neighbor and my family members and the world around me too much to waste my life and to lose my life and to give my life up because it's so important or God wouldn't have given it to me in the first place. Same goes for you. Don't you think that I am impervious to this? I'm exposed to this because I live in the same world that everybody else does. You see, we're living around people who have a hard time distinguishing between the reality and the virtual reality. Like I said a minute ago, we're becoming detached more and more. We're living in the last days, people. In the 1950s, there was such a com comical sense of fear of robots taking over that there was shows on TV, black and white TV, little circular TVs that started out. I grew up in the 50s, and the little TV was like a 12-inch, or maybe it was even a 10-inch TV screen. And they had stuff you know, like Twilight Zone episodes and you know robotics and stuff like this. And it was scary because the premise was them taking over. You know, them maybe going south on you and becoming not your friend anymore, not your butler anymore, but your, your brutalizer, you know? And so, <laughs> did we ever think in all this time, since the 50s, that the humans would merge so unbelievably with technology that humans would become almost robotic in themselves? 
Now, I'm not talking about the gamers out there only. I'm talking about social media freaks and all forms and applications and anything else that promises escapism from the realities of life as the only solution that works. Can we say idolatry? Ha. Huh. Exodus 20. I'm going to read to you from the New Century Version because we're in a new century. Verses 1 through 6. Then God spoke all these words. So this came right out of God's mouth. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves. You must not have... That. Now that's back hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago by this time now. But this was pretty current, you know, back when the Bible was being put together. And so God started off with those people that were enslaved, and they weren't black people. You know, they were Middle Eastern people, and they became the, the tribe of Judah and the 12 different tribes, 12 different sons of Judah that came out from Judah's loins. You know, Judah was, you know, one of the offsprings of Abraham. Abraham's grandson was Judah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And so Judah's a good name, okay? And so he's talking about that example. So we have an illustration. He says, I'm the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves. You could say, I'm the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Mississippi. I'm the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Atlanta or the land of Georgia or the land of Texas, South Texas. Places like that, where slavery was. I mean, it could be applied, you know, just in the last, you know, three or four hundred years. He says in verse 3, you must not have any other gods except me. I'm the one who set you free. Verse 4, you must not make for yourselves an idol that looks like anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the water below the land. You must not worship or serve any idol because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If you hate me, I'll punish your children, even your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. What? He's not punishing them directly. He's allowing what they brought upon themselves to come down the line and hit their children and their grandchildren. Remember when Jesus was being offered up and Pilate washed his hands and he said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And he gave the people a chance. He said, well, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give amnesty to one of the two prisoners this day. Pick the, the one that you want. And they cried for Barabbas, Barabbas, the murderer to be set free. And he was. And then, and then Pilate washed his hands. And he said, I want nothing to do with this, with this innocent man. And then the people that were representing the, the angry Jews, they yelled out, let his blood be upon us and upon our children and our children's children. Ooh, where'd that come from? Well, they got it right off the script of this Bible right here. This is Exodus I'm reading from. And this is the writings of Moses, whom the people that were yelling that over Jesus were all followers of Moses. They were under the legalistic part of the law of Moses. They took it and made it into a religion and a hardcore legalistic system. And they made it a god. And Jesus even caught them one time. And they were following him around and badgering him when he's preaching, you know, the gospel of peace and the gospel of salvation. And he said about their worship, they were worshiping the word of God. And he caught them flat-footed because he said, he's talking about the word of God. You think 
that in here, in the scrolls, and Jesus is pointing to a scroll and talking about a scroll, you, you think that, that in here you can, you can get life. But in here, this is what talks about me, and I have life, and you're not receiving me. And so what they prided themselves in is being so versed in the book of the law, thinking that the law could save them, and believing that the law was their salvation and was their rescuer and the one that would set them free when they got their lives aligned with the law. And he said, the law, as well as the prophets and the Psalms, they speak about me, but you're not, you're not listening to what it's saying because you wouldn't have stopped right there at the stop sign and bowed down to the stop sign. You would have gone past the stop sign to your destination, then parked and got out of your car. Because the destination that the law was supposed to lead them to was Jesus. Because what the law is supposed to lead them to is that, don't you realize now, after doing this for a couple thousand years, trying to, to keep the letter of the law, that you can't do it? That you come short? That you are so broken, you need to be fixed externally? And what I mean by externally, by an agent outside of yourself? being God coming to rescue you, God being a human and walking around the earth for 33 years and dying in your place, that's the only thing that can fix you, dude. But they were sticking to the map. They were sticking to the GPS map that said, this is the way to salvation. And Jesus is just interrupting him, saying, this is talking about how to get to me. And I'm right here, you can look up from your map quest and eyeball to eyeball, I'll meet you where you're at and give you the salvation you're looking for and you don't have to drive another inch. But they were missing it. That's how much people still miss it to this day. Moving right along. Verse 5, you must not worship or serve any idol because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If you hate me, I'll punish your children, or I'll let punishment hit your children, even your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. But I show kindness to thousands who love me and obey my commands. In other words, just because I love God and obey His commands, uh, that can prevent, even in the old system, under the laws of Moses, that can prevent a whole lot of hurt from coming to you and your, and your, your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids. And Jesus is now the answer to all that, being that He came. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wasn't saying, stop at me, bow down to me, worship me. He was saying, I came to show you the Father so that you would receive the Father through me and the work I have to do on the cross for you, that you would come into the family of the Father and I would be your brother as well as your Savior and you're next of kin, and you can be in a relationship with the Father the same level that I have with the Father. And so what he's trying to do is to keep them from worshiping the law anymore or worshiping, and, and you could worship the high priest. You could worship anything. You could worship baseball games. You know, you could worship... Um, your favorite rock star? People did during the 60s, didn't they? You could worship, you know, your favorite um, basketball player, MJ. Um, you could work, worship all, all kinds of things. 
And God is a jealous God saying, don't bow down to anything else. You can worship that brand new whip you got in the driveway, brand new car. You know, you go out there polishing the wheels and doing the dashboard every single day of the week. And you put more time into that car than you do in your own body, taking care of what you eat and exercising and sleeping correctly. You know, but you found yourself a little idol. You see, we're all looking for something greater than ourselves to believe in. And the only thing that is truly greater than us, because all this other stuff around us, even a Lambo, even a Lamborghini that's worth $2 million, you're you're more valuable than that. God didn't die for that. He died for you and me. And so we got to stop bowing down to the things that are made and bowing down exclusively to the maker of all things and stop getting caught up in any kind of idolatry because idolatry is offensive to God. It's an abomination to God. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, it is impossible for a person to serve two masters at the same time. You'll be forced to love one and reject the other. One master will be despised. The other one, you'll, you'll give them your loyal devotion. Your choice between God and the wealth of this world is no different. You must enthusiastically love one and definitely and defiantly reject the other. Wow. Jesus said one time in Luke, in Luke's gospel, he said, unless you forsake and hate. Some translations drop the word forsake and just say hate. That's pretty brutal. He says, unless you hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Okay, I added more than me because it's implied. Because he's talking to them about how to become his disciples. Because they're asking and they want to follow him and be discipled by him. And he says, here's what you got to do. It's not easy. It's not, it's not something you just fall off a, a chair and, and just end up landing on your feet every time and doing it. He says, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, and sister. Mm. And that word hate means to despise. Yeah, it means to vehemently, that's passionate, means to vehemently choose one over the other. And so you might choose Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but you don't choose Jesus to be your Lord and Master. And Lord and Master means you're going to subject yourself to him. Lord and Master means you're going to follow him. Lord and Master means that you're going to imitate him and do as he does, and say as he says. And that's a whole new level. And that's going, to, that's going to run you right into a whole new devil. And that devil is mostly your flesh. You're going to get such a fight for your flesh if you decide that I'm going to make Jesus the primary concern of my life. I'm going to take more care of Jesus than anything else. And everything else I take care of is going to be taken care of wonderfully, because I'm taking care of Jesus first. What do I mean by taking care of? Taking time to worship him, thank him, talk to him, listen to him, um, read after him, to study the way that he walked, the way that he acted and interacted and reacted with people that you want to make a case study. You want to change your mindset about how you react to the way that he reacted. 
Because I guarantee you, even though people hate church and people hate Christianity and people hate preachers and people hate, you know, people that are quoting Bible scripture left and right, nobody that isn't full of Satan himself, nobody that isn't taken over by demons, nobody ever hated Jesus unless they were completely taken over by Satan. Jesus, though he was controversial at times, he didn't ever step out of the love of God. He was loving those Pharisees and Sadducees when he called them a hypocrite. He called them, you know, you do the right, I mean, you say the right things, but you don't do the right things. And he told his disciples not to copy that. And he called them, um, he called them idolaters because they were worshiping the law instead of worshiping the lawgiver, God. Um, they, he called them um, <laughs> serpents because of what they were doing and leading people into deception because the word serpent in the Hebrew language means deceiver. And so the word nachash, you know, he's calling them that. And so you can say that's brutal, but he's doing it because he loved them. He's telling them the truth because he loved them. He's breaking through their lies because he loved them. He's trying to set them free from their lies and their deception because he loved them. He never stepped out of the love of God. Because to do so, he would have been in sin. And he wouldn't be dying for my sins and your sins. He'd be dying for his own sin. And he wouldn't have been able to help another soul past himself. So, in Luke 16, 13... Once again, it's impossible for a person to serve two masters at the same time. And so we've got to look at things in our life that seem to have mastered us, seem to have gotten above us. We seem to have kind of bowed down to that. We seem to have kind of yielded ourselves over to that. We seem to have kind of gotten pulled in or gotten dependent upon that, that we can't really enjoy ourselves fully without that. Um, whatever degree it might be, and anything the way I said it, just a moment ago the way I said it, it could be an idol, and you got to bring it down. you got to put it in its place. You see, because it's risen up to the place of being a source, an access point for the enemy to be able to come through into your life through the portals and the channels, through your eye gates, what you're looking at on the screen, through your ear gates when you have your headphones on and you're having a good time and, and you're going all through the, the maze or you're going all up against the demon hordes and stuff like this. And it looks like you can sanctify it and say that it's, oh, it's just an exercise in putting demons under, just like Jesus and stuff. Um, there's a lot of demons on both sides of things, man. And there's no name of Jesus being mentioned. And so you're not putting any demon in his place by shooting it and blasting it and it's squirting into a million different pieces and a million different pieces turning into a million more demons. And so let's just face facts. And let's, let's admit it. If we've made something too important in our lives, we've got to put it down to the level where it serves us. You see, if you're serving it, it's the master, you're the slave. If it serves us, because everything in this world that's good, every good and perfect word, or every, every good and perfect gift comes down from above to our world from above. And so anything that's good and perfect like that, it can be perverted and used and rise up above 
serving God or having God your primary focus? And when it does, it took the place of God. And sometimes we even take the place of God. Just like in our society, we've got a bunch of people that have messianic complexes, which means they're going around acting as if they're God because they are demanding to change their gender. They're demanding to be fluid gendered or to be bisexual or to be able to change themselves from a man to a woman, from a woman to a man. And like I said before, of course, we know they're confused. And who is the author of confusion? The Bible tells us exactly. These are scriptures. I'm not making this up. You need to read your Bible. The devil is the author of confusion. All you got to do is punch in those three words, author of confusion, and you'll get that scripture and you'll see it. And so if something is confusing, God ain't in it. God ain't in it. So Romans echoes this in the New Testament. It says it a little bit different way. I'll just read it from the Passion Translation in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it'll become your master, and it'll own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. You see, idol worship is as old as time itself. Although we think we know that what idol worship is, <laughs> odds are we weren't familiar with the concept of idolatry until you started listening to some of the things I'm talking about right here. You see, yes, idol worship is when we look to anything or anyone other than God for answers or affirmation or for love or for everything in life and even our own shelter and sustenance and breakthroughs. We're looking to take matters into our own hands. We're leaning to our own understanding and education and degrees on the wall and not the living God. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Because God is the source for everything that we need in life, for the air that we breathe, for the water that we drink, for the food that we eat, for the shelter over our heads, for the cars that we drive, for the job that we need or believe God for, he is the source. Anything else becomes the source, that's a form of idolatry. Mm. So, there is a more intense form of idolatry that involves people becoming possessed, such as in voodoo rituals and voodoo rites, and, we, and, and that's low-hanging fruit. That's we, we can identify that as idolatry, where they have some kind of a golden calf, you know, shaped and formed, and they're bowing down to it, and they're having sex in an orgy all around it. That is getting out of hand. <laughs> and being placed under a trance, under a spell, being locked into a zone that they're, un, they're incapable of, 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 of releasing themselves from, or they're, un, they're incapable or incapable of setting themselves free, because slaves, slaves... Don't set slaves free because they're, they're, ch they're chained and locked up themselves. Wow. So just look at the world that we live in with technology at the center of most people's everyday lives. Every minute of every day of every life, every second of every minute of every day of all of our lives. Just over the last 10 years, what are the numbers saying to us? And we mentioned earlier already about all these things, but, you know, mental 
mental health disorders are on the upkick, they're on the rise. And that's just a fancy word to say people are being tormented by demons. Because the natural world can't measure demons, doesn't have some kind of a meter that shows them a spiritual entity is present. But Jesus one time told Peter, told Peter to his face, get to behind me, Satan, just because Peter said something that Jesus didn't like, because it wasn't in line with God's will. Because he said, get to behind me, Satan, because you don't favor the things of God, but you favor the things of man. Ooh. And so it could be that subtle to where you're listening you know, to just your own thoughts and your own experiences and your own education and your own training and your own things to make a decision instead of trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. And so mental health is on the rise because people, their minds aren't made to process what's going on in the world right now. It's getting worse and worse. You know, there's medications that the AMA have been producing for years. That is, we have something near 47% of kids under the age of 12 are taking medications. The adults, we know that it's high. I don't know, even know the numbers on the adults. But I mean, when you start to medicate the children, um, they're not even supposed to process the adult world, and yet they're thrown into it and have to grow up faster than ever. You see, whether we're talking about gaming, social media, anything that promotes a connection by way of disconnection leaves a lot of space in between the connection with human beings and the disconnection with human beings, a big gap that the enemy can take a foothold and he's always on the prowl. You see, the lie in all of this is that we need anything other than God to cope with life, to get through the day, or even make a human connection within a community. God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. Say it after me. God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. We can only be completely whole as a person when we find ourselves hidden inside of Jesus, the person. Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to end right here, because this is what satisfies everything that pulls us in another direction. Paul the Apostle came out of the idolatry of legalism, the idolatry of Judaism, the idolatry of being under the law and persecuting Christians. They were following Jesus and having a relationship with the living God. Paul the Apostle thought his works of righteousness were his saving grace, but it wasn't. And he realized it, and he wrote about it to the church at Philippi in verses 8 through 10 in chapter 3 after he gave his pedigree, that he is of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. As far as keeping the law, flawless. In verse 8 he said, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. In other words, all that I gained, all, the, my, all my awards, all my accomplishments, all my achievements, all my law-keeping, it's all dung. It's all doo-doo. It's all caca. It's all loss. It's all rubbish, like he says, that I may gain Christ. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm going somewhere with this. Watch this. Verse 9. It doesn't need a period at the end of Christ right there. It doesn't occur in the Greek language. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed unto his death. In other words, what Jesus was dead to when he walked the earth. Jesus died before he died on the cross. And he wanted, Paul wanted to know that secret of how to be separate from the things that pull on us and drag us down in this world. He said that I may be familiar and be conformed to his death, getting to experience the victory of his death. I have a license plate in the back of my car. I used to, you know, I, I always find acronyms for things and I always find, you know, meaning in numbers and stuff like this. And when I got this car, it was a gift given to me and I was thinking about getting a personalized license plate because I couldn't make sense, couldn't make anything good come out of the license plate. It is seven, which is a good number. It means perfect. It means complete. And then with V, letter V like Victor, A like Apple, D like David, V-A-D, VOD, VOD. Why couldn't it be God? I'd have loved that one. V-A-D, 380. Okay, well, I can make something out of the numbers. Seven is perfect. Three is Trinity, God Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And eight is the number of new beginnings. Zero doesn't matter for anything. And so the numbers that matter are three, and then, I mean seven, and then three and eight. Seven, perfection, completion. Three, our, our completion is found in the Godhead. And that gives us a new beginning. There's a message right there that I can preach. What's VAD? Dang, I, I racked myself until I just, I just finally gave up on it. One day God just quickened it to me and he told me this. V stands for victory. A stands for the, the word at and D stands for the, for the word death. Victory at death. You see, Jesus' victory was only possible when he died. Our victory is only possible when we die and we get out of the way. We stop putting other things more important than God, including and especially ourself. You know, you could self-worship if you're not careful. You could self-worship. People that are narcissistic, that are egotistical, they're in another form of idolatry. That's a, that's a higher level, maybe a lower level. That's down to the lower levels of the gates of hell of idolatry because they're worshiping themselves. But you lose self when you died in Christ and you were made alive in him and your only identity on the face of God's green earth can be found in him now. And so are you lacking anything inside of him? No. Do you have everything you need? Yes. And even Jesus, whom we are embedded in and ever joined to, never to be separated from, worships his father. That's our example. He worshiped God in front of people. He gave God the credit for everything that he did. He did nothing of himself. He told everybody, I of myself can do nothing. And so to wrap this whole thing up, Paul the Apostle learned the key of realizing who we are. He talks about it in verse 8, that he turned, he turned his back on all of his old achievements, all of his hard work to be a good person, to be a good follower of God, a good Jew, a good, a good Pharisee, because he was a boot camp Pharisee. He was the one who trained 
um, disciples and trained the other Pharisees. And Paul the Apostle had many stripes. And I'll talk about on his back. You know, but, but, but like in the military, he had many stripes. So he gave up all of his decorations, all of them, everything. It meant nothing to him. He came stripped naked and bare to Jesus. And they said, I did all this that I may gain Christ. That's at the end of verse 8. Eight, I mean, five words, verse 8, the last five words, that I may gain Christ. And the first five words, or, yeah, first five words in verse 9, and be found in him. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Ten words. We have to, we have to come to the place where he says in verse 10, to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Because that's the only way that we're going to get to the place that we need to be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, is to die to our own way of living. You see, our own way of living, our natural way of living, any natural thoughts that slip in there and maybe take the place of you asking God what you should do next and you waiting for an answer and doing it. And so that's a form of idolatry. It may, may seem mild, but it's not mild because it's going to lead you down a wrong path because you have just made yourself uh, your own God because it's your idea, not the living God's idea. It's your idea, not Jesus' idea. It's your idea, not the Holy Spirit's idea. And so whenever you exalt anything above God the Father, Son, or Spirit, it's idolatry. And so we got to stop that. And we got to stop that by dying to all the options that we used to have when we used to do that. And so die to that option of going by your own intellect. Die to the option of going by your own sense of reasoning and logic. Die to the option of going by your own experiences. Die to those options. And you're going to experience the victory of finding yourself you see, because that's one, that's a subject all on its own. I'm not going to go any further than this right now today. But there's so many people that don't even know who they are because they can only be found in Christ because they gave their heart to Christ a long time ago as a Christian, but they never found themselves in him. They never found themselves in him. They never found themselves. Remember those 10 words? The last five of verse 8 and the first five of verse 9? Put those together. And you got something that really works. And it'll keep you out of idolatry. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to me. And apply the things that you've learned, you've learned and you've heard today. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.